Um, so they've given me another impossible task in terms of plumbing the depths of Psalm 51. <laughs> so, and it makes me want to go in directions anyway. We'll see how far we get. But um, looking forward to this. Let's open with a word of prayer. God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We thank you for your mercy that is poured out on us. Lord, your word says your mercy is new every morning. That means you vis visit us every morning and you pour out new mercy. Father, we thank you that you do this day by day. And that we just ask you continue to open our hearts that we may walk in the place of surrender to you, Lord, that allows us to really experience your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I wanted to do with Psalm 51, Psalm 51 jumps forward to David's repentance. Um, but I want to back us up to 2 Samuel chapter 12, because 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where David uh, lusts after Bathsheba, and then in order to get his own way, he goes out and has Bathsheba um, sort of brought to him and gets her pregnant, and then he has Uriah, her husband, killed, it does all that sort of stuff on the sly, right? You know, uh, the way he has Uriah killed is he tells a couple of his buddies up in the front lines, put the guy in the front lines where it's most dangerous and when the attack is heavy, pull back from him so it looks like an accident. Um, actually, pretty good, uh, you know, uh, like you want to talk controlling? Uh, that's good controlling behavior, right? That's good addictive behavior. Who here has ever been struggled with addictions, right? You know? Addict, those of us who struggle with addictions and feeding our, addict, our addiction, we get controlling and we get deceitful and we want to get our way and all that kind of, it becomes very selfish. So here you have a really extremely selfish man. He wants what he wants. He so, on some level knows what he wants is wrong, but he goes for it anyway. Anyway, uh, apparently he's not too repentant at the end of the day. He's going like, whoa, I finally got the woman. You know, when it says here in verse 26 of uh, chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So, um, sort of like, how long did she mourn? Well, probably 30 days or a couple of months, and boom, suddenly she's the king's wife. Sort of strange, right? Um, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Um, God hates uh, the sin that David does. Uh, just like God hates the kind of selfishness that creeps into our own lives. Why does God hate selfishness in us? Uh, probably for the same reason. Anyone who's been uh, a parent or been married to an addictive person or a person that's in their addiction. What is it you hate about that person? You hate the selfishness. The addiction takes that loved one away from you. They begin to abuse you and they begin to use you for what they get, can get from you to feed their addiction and you have no relationship with that person anymore. This is what God hates about the sin David committed. It's, it, it created a boundary between him and God or a blockage. It, it drove the relationship God yearned for to a distance. So here's the man he loves. And now that man spends no time with him, that, span, that man is anchored down in his sin, that man has no intimacy left with God, and God yearns for that intimacy. 
You know, that's what God, the, the Bible teaches us, uh, God yearns for. He yearns for intimacy with His children. That's what He designed us for. That's what He created us for. And so why does He hate sin? Because it destroys that intimacy. So it says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Who here, you know, your mom used to say, do you hear me? Right? Uh, apparently not, because she said it a fair number of times, right? So finally, can you speak to your son? Right? This is what God's doing. God's going, can you hear me? No, no, David's got his, got his ears shut to God. So God's going, okay, Nathan, I need you to go and talk to this guy bluntly. So this prophet walks up to David. And it says, uh, he tells him a story about a certain town, one, there are two, two men, a rich man, one was, uh, another one was poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, a poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. Uh, that's a female lamb, right? That he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. You know, that's a different sort of a shepherd this guy is compared to a lot of the you know, people that I know that are livestock um, uh, guys today. Most people don't, don't go to sleep cuddling their lamb. Anyway, this guy is very, very close to his lamb, right? Um, it was like a daughter to him. You know, for some of you, you could substitute, it was like your poodle, right? Um, people, you know, carry these poodles around. I met a lady who carried her poodle around, uh, and when she died, the poodle was so used to being carried around, it couldn't stand. So the, the daughter that inherited it actually had to teach it how to stand. She would hold it on the table while it sort of gradually built up its leg muscles. Wow, who does that? <laughs> Certainly not me, I don't really like poodles. So, anyway. But there's this intimacy here. Uh, so, so Nathan is, tells this story just to show how, how much this man valued his sheep. So as the traveler came to the rich man, the rich man uh, refrained from taking one of his own sheep cattle to prepare a meal. Uh, in other words, he was cheap, rich, but cheap. Interestingly enough, statistics say that the most generous people are also the least rich. Uh, when you are not rich and you know what it's like to be in need, we tend to be more generous, right? The more money you got, the, ten, the more you tend to white-knuckle it. That's what this guy did. And he took the lamb of the poor man and he slaughtered the thing and he served it to his guest. And David was ticked right off. David, it says, burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, Surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. And he must pay for the lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are this man. This is what you did. You took the one wife that Uriah had that was so precious to him, and you took that away. David actually at the time had a huge um, uh, harem of wives and concubines, did not need Uriah's wife. Anyway, um, he goes on and he says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, took his wife to be your own, you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So suddenly David's sin is exposed. All the stuff that he's been trying to hide is now exposed. You know, I was talking with a guy here just a little while ago. Uh, actually, I'm talking with a few guys. Um, God has put me in, the, in, in contact uh, or in, I rub shoulders with a lot of guys struggling with addictions. And, and um, I, I was talking with a guy here just a little while ago who, who had just had his own sins exposed. 
You know, oftentimes uh, the scripture talks about how our heart is so deceitful, we even lie to ourselves, right? We dress up our own sins so that we don't have to really deal with the guilt and the consequence of those sins. <clears throat> we pretend that there's something else, we justify it. Anyway, in this moment, David's sin was revealed to him. This is what you did. Sometimes we need that kind of bluntness. Um, then it says this, Therefore now there was a whole bunch of consequences. God's going to bring calamity on your household. <laughs> so this is what you did. God's going to bring calamity on your household. Uh, in other words, there, there are big time consequences coming down the pipe that you are not going to like as a result of what you have done. Um, who here, you know, you've ever, uh, you know, done that thing? You've, you've got yourself so deep into your sin that now the consequences are coming down the pipe and, and suddenly things are looking really bad. And that's what you get to deal with. Those consequences are a result of, of us doing things our way. As, of us living our lives our way. Of us being selfish. How selfish are you? Well, I like David's response. David said to Nathan, and I can just see David, he's like, you know, he's lied to himself, he's built up layers of deceit in himself, this guy comes along and just cuts it all open and lays it bare. And David's standing there, sort of deer in the headlights, and he realizes this is all true. I have sinned against the Lord, that's all he says. I have sinned against the Lord. You know, when we talk about David, the scripture actually talks about this is a man after God's own heart. This man who did all this deceit, this man who um, killed Uriah, this man who lied and cheated and stole. This is a man after God's own heart. Why is he a man after God's own heart? He's a man after God's own heart because every time he's confronted with his sin in this way, he actually always turns back to God and repents. Saul, it says, uh, the king prior to David was not a man after God's own heart because every time Saul was confronted with his sin, he lied and he, he manipulated more. David repented. You know, I was thinking about a friend of mine. He, he used to be a, an alcoholic. And I asked him, you know, he, he'd tell me stories about, you know, laying in his bed at night after a binge and, and he'd be going, God, why did I do this? Why did I do this again? Like, I just can't seem to stop this. I said, what was the shift for you? He said, you know what the shift was? He said, I decided I would be absolutely honest about everything. Deceit had to get out of my life. Got to be done with deceit. Honesty. What does God want? Honesty. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. What does God desire but, but truth in the inmost parts, the Scripture says? Why? Because truth allows us to receive God's help. Well, anyway, that's what David says. I have sinned against the Lord. That's what he says. I like the next statement. The next statement to me is mind-blowing. So Nathan has just said, this is what you did. Big consequences are coming down the pipe. You are standing on the tracks, and the locomotive carrying the sin consequence train is charging right at you, right? Whoa. And David says, I have sinned. And Nathan immediately says, the Lord has taken, your, taken away your sin. You will not die. What? You mean this is all that has to happen? The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. What? You know, I, I think about my dad one time. I'd, I'd done something and I, I got caught. 
and he was trying to help me. And he said, he said these words. He says, tell me what you've done so that I can help you. I can't help someone who won't tell me what they've done. I didn't trust them. I thought if I tell them, I'm going to get punished, right? There are going to be bad consequences. No, no. Dad says, tell me what you've done so I can help you. I had to make a choice. Am I going to trust my dad? Am I going to tell him what, he, what I did so that he can help me, or am I not? I, I learned to trust my dad a little bit that day, and something shifted in our relationship. One of the things that shifted in our relationship is I realized my father didn't want to punish me. This is exactly what is happening here with David. What we're seeing is a God who just, well, 1 John 1, 9, it says, confess your sins, and he who is faithful and just will cleanse your sins, uh, forgive you, and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It's God saying, tell me what you've, did so, what you've done so that I can help you. This is the biggest breakthrough for anyone struggling with addictions. I don't care if it's alcoholism. I don't care if it's drugs. I don't care if it's chronic lying. I don't care if it's stealing. I don't care if it's chronic pride. There's addiction. And, and the addiction ultimately really is the addiction to selfishness. How many of us, we work our lives. We work every angle of our lives. You know, one day I sat down and I began to track my prayers. And I began to read, um, I, I, I began to read over what, I, what, I'd, what I'd written. Because I created this diary of all my prayers. And I began to read through my prayers. And the amazing number of my prayers that were selfish. God bless what I want to do. God, give me this. God, if I do this, can I get this? And I'll make a deal with you, God. If blah, You get what I'm saying, right? And really, at the end of the day... My prayers showed what I thought of God. He was sort of this heavenly jukebox. If I plug my little spiritual quarter in, I will get this. And God has been trying to lead me to a place where he says, just trust me. I haven't created you for selfishness. I've created you for dependence on me. Well, David says, I've sinned. Nathan says, the Lord has taken your sin away. The only thing is I hate the next passage the next part of the passage. You know what the next part of the passage says? It says, but because of this, by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show, of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. So even though David makes this confession, God says through Nathan, your sins are taken away. And you know what? It tracks me forward to 1 John 4.18. Anyone here quote me 1 John 4.18? 18? 1 John 4.18 is right before the famous verse about we, we love because he has first loved us. 1 John 4.18 speaks about um, the one who fears is not perfected in love. What does that mean? It means the one who fears God in a negative way, the one who's terrified of God. I'm not talking about the one who goes, oh Lord, I fear you in awe. I'm talking about the one who says, I, I want to get away from God. Like, like I'm trying to hide my stuff. I don't want God to know what I'm doing. The one who fears God is not perfected in love. In other words, he doesn't know, he doesn't understand what the love of God is like. Because he says this fear has to do with punishment. And perfect love casts out all fear. Who has taken our punishment? The Bible says Jesus took our punishment on the cross. Why did he do that? It says because of God's great love for us. Because God knew we couldn't carry that punishment. And so for his great love for us, he took our punishment on himself. 
Somebody says, why would God, why would God punish his son? You know, and the picture we have of, is of this just God sitting in heaven saying, I've got to punish somebody. Boom, I'm punishing my son. I would never do that. Like, if, if you did something, I would never put my son and say, you know what, we've got to take the guilt somewhere, slap it on my son. We'll put the screws to my son and torture him, right? That's not the way it is. When we have that kind of a picture of God, we are separating Jesus too far out from God. You guys know that God is one. One of the big struggles with the religions over the years, God is one. And this is one of the things the Jews struggled with. They felt that the Christians had multiple gods. No, no, God is one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. I want to say to you that Jesus, when he came to take our punishment, Jesus, we call Jesus God Emmanuel. That means God is with us. I want to say to you that the Father poured himself into the Son, and the Father came through the Son, and he took our punishment on himself. So when you think about it, I want you to think about it this way. Here I am, I am the Son, I have done something, and there are major consequences, and, and who comes along? <laughs> my dad doesn't come along with my other brother and say, crap, well, that one messed up, let's throw another son under the bus, and then we'll get this guy out of it, right? That's not what God does. God comes along, and he's, and he's the one who dives in front of the bus to save me, the Son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. So God has taken our punishment on himself because of his love for us. There's no punishment for us. And so Nathan says, you know, he illustrates this. He says, God is not trying to actually punish David in this moment. You know, this is one of them, those passages that they drive me a little nuts because, you know, when I'm trying to convince people of the love of God, they go, yeah, well, why did God kill David's baby? Oh, japers. Why did God kill David's baby? Well, I think it's this. It's actually said here. God is concerned in this passage that the rest of the people out there are not left with the illustration that David's kind of sin is not important. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts? They came in and they lied and Peter said the same thing. Boom, you're dead. And they both died. And it says this great fear spread out across the land because of this happening. People became convinced this kind of behavior is not endorsed by God. There are consequences to this kind of behavior. But I want you to think about something else. I learned about this when I was doing one of the best funerals of my life. I've done two funerals that were the best funerals of my life. One was for my brother at age 37. Uh, well, okay, make, make it three. I did my father's funeral two years ago. But one of the funerals that I did that was the most amazing funeral for me was a five-year-old girl. And she had died uh, of a brain tumor. Uh, she had fallen asleep in class one day in preschool. They couldn't wake her up. They took her to the hospital. They found out she had an invasive brain tumor. And she never woke up from the surgery. The surgery killed her. And I got a phone call, and they said, would you come and do this funeral? And I thought, like, what do you say? Anyone? What, what do you say? Especially when you're standing in front of 600 people in this church, half of whom have no faith background. What do you say? Oh, well, uh, yeah, that's about it. 
I'm going, Lord, what do I say? How do I explain the injustice of what you have just done? Oh, you know, God likes, he likes that kind of honesty when we talk to him like that. Because if you're thinking it, you might as well say it, right? God's response to me was very strong and very direct. And the response of God was this. He says, you're not seeing the whole picture. He says, this young lady was mine. And he says, what I have done is I have taken her to be with me. And it is very good. God laid on my heart. He said, you only think about this world. And you know what? If this world is all we have, then the fact that this young girl died at age five is a tragedy. But this is not the only world we have. The scripture says we have been created for eternity. And that we are experiencing the beginning deposits when we say yes to Christ and we're touched by his love. The beginning deposit of an eternity with him. It's incredible stuff. Viewed from that perspective. Anyway, this takes me back to this passage. Okay, David, this is what you did. I've sinned against the Lord. The Lord has taken your sin away. But because God says, I need to make a statement to the people out there that your kind of behavior is, is, is not healthy, I'm taking the child. But David, you need to understand this is not a punishment because I have forgiven you. People that are forgiven don't get punished. You get what I'm saying? When you forgive someone, you say, I'm not punishing you. You don't forgive and punish. God declared his forgiveness, and so there's a different reason than punishment. God says, I will take the child, and this child will be with me, and behold, it's going to be very good for this child. I sometimes think, you know, that kid had it easier than I've had it. Because I've had to live through some stuff in this world that, you know what? I think this kid had it easier. Anyway. Well, it says David wept before God. Please change your mind. God didn't change his mind. <laughs> Who here, you know, you've done something and you wept for, you begged for, please change, you know. No. Nope. Consequences is there. It's got to be lived through. And then it says when the baby died and they told David that the baby died, he was fasting. He was weeping before God. He was trying to get God to change his mind. And sometimes God doesn't change his mind. When the baby died and they told him about it, it says David acted actually sort of psychotically. <laughs> he gets up, dusts himself off, has a meal, combs his hair, oils his hair, right? All that kind of stuff. They didn't have brill cream back then, or dippity-doo. So oils his hair, and he goes out like, okay, Business as usual. And people are looking at him going like, what the, what the heck is with you? Like, what's the shift? He says, long as I thought that God might relent. He says, I tried. But he said, God didn't relent. And, and, and I'm okay with that. What David did, he, he wasn't acting psychotically. What he was doing was he was showing his trust in God. At the end of the day, when God makes a decision in your life, and something that you have to walk through. What is God doing? God is teaching you and he's teaching me to trust him. And as we walk through that event, and at the end of the day, if we could be like David and get up and say, God, 
I'm ready to trust you. I, I trust that what you have done is the best thing. Well, Psalm 51. Where's Psalm 51? It's in here somewhere. There we go. Psalm 51. We hear the words of David's prayer as David goes to spend his time with God after Nathan confronted him. And I want to say to you that when David confronted Nathan, what he confronted was David, or when Nathan confronted David, what Nathan confronted was David's selfishness. Who here is selfish? You know, selfishness, oftentimes we think of nasty, nastiness. I didn't ask if you're nasty. Some selfishness is really cute. You get what I'm saying? When you're selfish, you can, you can, you can be codependent. You, your selfishness means, I will do it myself. I will depend on myself. And so when, when Jesus spoke these famous words, he says, repent and believe. Go, go preach this message. Repent and believe. What Jesus was saying It's time that the people hear a message that they don't have to be self-ish anymore. Who here you feel like you're out doing your life in your own strength? You have to do what you have to do to get through life. That was me. When I gave my life to Christ as a little boy, I remember thinking exactly that. I thought, I've got to kill 80 years now. I figure I probably, you know, 86, I'll kick the bucket, right? So between now and 86, I got 80 years to kill, and then we'll go be with Jesus, and we'll enjoy this thing. That's because my mentality was self-ish. It was all about me having to get through my life. This is what Nathan confronted in David. Listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know what sin is? Sin, bluntly put, Romans 14, 28, last half of the verse says this. Sin is whatever is not of faith. What does that mean? It means when we are living our life by our own strength, we are sinning. Why? Because we're refusing the help that God wants to pour into our lives. We're saying, God, I don't need you. God, I can do this on my own. And you know, we can look awful stinking religious while we do this. God says, I didn't design you that way. I've come to be your strength. And David is confessing, I abandoned that strength for my own way. For I know my transgressions. Ah, this is the admission. I know my transgressions and my sin, my selfishness is ever before me. Against you only I have sinned. What? What do you mean against him only? He sinned against the kid, he sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, against the guys that he made lie to put Uriah in the front, the front line. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. And yet he says, God, I have sinned against you. Because he had betrayed everything that God had made him to be. We oftentimes, you know, when we fail, we don't, or when we betray God, we don't, we don't look at God and God, I, I betrayed you. I took my trust away from you. That's what the betrayal of God is. God is not looking at us frowning like, you dirtbag. 
You did it again, right? I'm disgusted with you. God is not disgusted with his children. I mean me, you know, when I'm changing diapers, right? I used to like, whoa. You've all heard my diaper illustration. Like, whoa, that is disgusting. Man, that's pretty impressive, actually. I'm sort of proud of that. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes God's amazed, but he's never disgusted with us. He loves us. And he calls us back. Anyway, David right now, David's looking at the mess he made, and he's going, whoa! And he says, God, this is what I've done. Against you only and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Who here thinks kids are innocent? Don't, don't, don't lift your hands, right? Because this actually says, I was conceived in sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you were conceived evil in that sense, that you were ugly, that you were disgusting before God. It means that that tendency to, self, to selfishness was in us from birth. Romans 5 says we were born separated from God. And God in His love has come seeking us, desiring to be our strength because we weren't designed to walk separate. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You know, the, the biggest thing to getting free, the biggest thing, is getting truthful. I do prayer ministry with people. And I'm coaching a guy right now and doing prayer ministry. And, and he says, what, what, when, what about when I have, to, when I have somebody who, who has obvious things in their life, but they're, going, they're arguing with me? I said, if they argue with you, just say this. You are not ready for this. If I have to argue with you, Ken, to, to, about your sin, Ken, I see this in you. Ken's going, well, you know, it's not that bad. I, you're not ready. If God has to argue with me, I'm not ready, right? The guy who gets the greatest freedom is the guy who admits the most. Just be real. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What is he saying? God, only you can cleanse me. Who here has been trying to cleanse themselves? You've been trying to fix yourself? You've been trying to deal with your own guilt? Get your own guilt out of your life? Enough of that nonsense. Stop it, right? John 1.5, Jesus says, I am the light, I shine in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand me, does not overcome me, does not interface with me. Jesus says, tell me what you've done so I can help. Jesus says, you are forgiven. And whether you're ready to receive it or not, that's an, that might be another thing, but you are forgiven. This is really the core of Psalm 51. If you want a good prayer to pray, it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer where we say yes to Jesus, where we invite him into the darkness, where we invite him into our sin and guilt. It's a prayer where we lay down the self-centeredness, the selfishness, if you get what I'm saying. The self-dependence. And we say, God, I'm in your hands. And sometimes for some of us, we're struggling. The reason we're struggling is because we're not ready to let go. You know, when I think about, uh, <laughs> you know, I think about jumping off, jumping off, uh, you know, the proverbial jumping off the cliff, right? Guy jumps off a cliff, but he's hanging on to a tree root, you know, and he's going, God, I trust you. God, how come I don't feel your presence? God's sitting underneath him. Let go of the branch, man. Let go of the root. You've got to let go. What is it that you need to let go? What is it that you are holding on to? 
What is it at the, at the root of your selfishness? What are you demanding from God? David was in a place where he was ready to be done. Lord, I'm in your hands. That's where we're, where we're designed to be. You know, there's so much more uh, I, could, I could go on to talk about, and I was going to, but I'm at 12, 16 and a half. And I need to be done. But I want to say this to you. Your sins are forgiven. Well, some of you, some of you didn't hear me. Your sins are forgiven. I was uh, out at Teen Challenge a while ago. And I, I was led in that time. I've, I've done this several times out there. But I was led again out there at the end of our time together to walk around and lay hands on each man present and just to speak these words over them. Your sins are forgiven. Now, when I got done with that little exercise, I like to stop and I like to ask the guys, what do you experience as we pray that, or as, as we did that exercise? And many of them said, you know, I experienced something Lift off of me. Hmm. Your sins are forgiven. I'd like us to just bow our hearts before God and pray that prayer of surrender. And so, as we pray that prayer of surrender, I'm just going to take the first part of Psalm 51 and I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. See if I can find it again here. Let me pray line by line. I'm going to ask you to pray after me. And, and the prayers that are before God like this, all you have to do is mean them. And it says, God hears your cry and answers your prayer. Pray with me. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. In this moment of quiet, I want you to just rest before God. And I want to say, self-hatred is also a sin. But I want you to just take a moment of quiet before God. If your sin is before you, you lift that up to God. Maybe you can't lift it up. You sit with it in your lap before God. Pray with me. Against you only have I sinned. And I've done evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. <clears throat> Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit. Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, you do not despise. God Almighty, as we come before you to offer you the sins that we carry, Lord, as we come to offer you the deceit that sometimes um, holds us back, Lord, as you see us, may you search us out. Lord, may the word of Christ remain. My son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. And for this, Father, we thank you that there is no more punishment for those who are the beloved of God, but that you, you come to us, you call us, you draw us. May you continue. In Jesus' name. Bow your hearts to God and receive his benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for the morning. Be blessed.